they not only can be unified through the blood of Jesus Christ uh, and saving faith in that blood, in that resurrection of Christ, but they are unified. The hostility, Paul says, in that passage in Ephesians 2 has been killed. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Matt and J.D., how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Nick. Great. Well, we have a special treat this week. Today, we're joined by Dr. Owen Strand, who serves as Provost and Research Professor of Theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. He's the author of 20 books, but most recently, and the reason we're talking to him today, he is author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Dr. Strand, welcome to Stand Firm. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on here, guys. It's a great joy. So I thought that though we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about your book and its ideas, I wanted to start at the beginning because I suspect that, at least for now, you might be a little less well-known to our largely Anglican audience than you are to the broader evangelical world. So I wonder if you'd start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your work, Grace Bible, and how you got to where you are. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm from coastal Maine near Bar Harbor. So um, grew up a, a boy in Maine and uh, went to Bowdoin College for my undergraduate education. Uh, I studied at Southern Seminary for my MDiv and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago for my PhD in historical theology. And I've taught systematic theology and historical theology for over a decade now. I'm the, I'm the provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. I'm married to Bethany, the lovely Bethany, met her in Louisville. It's a good city. Yep. And uh, we have three children. Um, and uh, we, we are making a home in Conway. And uh, life is good. God is good. Somehow you, you escape the normal uh, sort of vocational trajectory of whaling from, from being from Maine. That's good. I see. It was really close. That's right. That's right. I was just about to do it. Yeah, well, that's my that's my. Um, yeah, that's how cultured I am. That's right. That's right. So not many people maybe will know a lot about Grace Bible. It's relatively new, right? So what what drew you to it? Yeah, it is relatively new. I had five years at Southern Seminary and Boyce College in Louisville teaching systematics. And then I had six years in Kansas City uh, teaching systematics at Midwestern Seminary. And those were all good years. I'm very thankful for those institutions and their role in my life. But uh, I had this opportunity come up this past spring to uh, step into a different role and help lead a school and be in a confessional reformed environment and that was appealing to me. Um, I have, as you alluded to earlier, taken a stand on wokeness, and um, I wanted to be in a context uh, that uh, that would not cause any trouble for uh, along those lines, denominationally or otherwise. And so um, here I am at this school with one other full-time faculty member and uh, 30-ish students right now. So we're building something. We, we think yeah. of ourselves kind of as a 
Baptist Westminster at this point. That's probably a little inflated, but hey, everybody's got to have goals, <laughs> that's right? right? That's right. <laughs> we we think of the the great picture of the early Westminster faculty. I know I'm with Anglicans here, but permit the permit the jag for just a minute of Machen and others, Van Til, you know, sure. all in their three piece suits. Yes. And and Machen is mobbed up. He's got a waistcoat. He, he, he ain't even smiling at the camera. He doesn't need to smile. He's Jay <laughs> Gresham right. Machen. So we want to do a, a photo like that. Soon. Yeah. So there you well, go. we're very sympathetic to that. I mean, Nick and I both went to uh, Trinity School for Ministry, which started, you know, in a basement in Ambridge, Pennsylvania with, you know, I don't think they had any accreditation, um, you know, ragtag bunch of students uh, from around the country whose bishops were, uh, you know, very suspicious of this new um, evangelical and then Episcopal seminary and um, have deep affection and deep roots uh, or deep, deep affection for for the, the need for and the reality of seminaries like the one that you're you're currently yeah. involved in, because um, I mean, we could talk I and mean, we'd have a whole show about credentialism and, you know, degree inflation and things. But having spent totally. um, having got my my doctorate from, you know, sort of a mainline uh, German theological institution um, and while working in the Church of England and seeing their uh, what they would call their training schemes. Um, let's just say that uh, that, well, well, there, there's a there's a lot to be said for um for what you're doing. I don't want to go too far afield other than just to say that, that, um, you know, that there are, um, there, yeah. Yeah. We should probably cut all that out, Nick. Cause I, don't, I want to say, I want to say a lot more, but I don't want to be, I, don't I do wanna, too. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, could we all just, could we all just summarize it by saying that you all went to a strip mall type seminary <laughs> <laughs> well said <laughs> that's exactly right and i can say sometimes strip malls uh you can learn more in a strip mall than you yeah, can yeah. in an ivory tower let's put it that way Amen. um so yeah that's a good way to put it matt that's right we didn't none of us not all of us got to go to the hallowed halls of bts matt and sort of um but we um <laughs> but we see where we all are so well praise god what you're doing there oh and i think it's um it's courageous and yeah. Uh, we've known each other now for, I don't know, uh, sort of seven or eight years, uh, mm -hmm. cross paths back in Louisville. And as we were just sort of uh, discussing uh, briefly before the show, um, the landscape uh, is almost unimaginable from what we even could have thought eight years ago for um, just evangelicalism, for the church, for um, the need to have even written a book called, or we wouldn't have understood what you would, the title even meant hardly no. eight years ago. You know, I mean, Christianity Christianity and wokeness um, now, uh, sadly, is very um, understandable. Um, and I think it's, um, it's to be commended that you have seen this uh, wolf, um, you have uh, tracked it, and I think in good measure have, um, have really laid it bare um, for us here in this book, which for which we're very grateful. So uh, tell us a little bit, I mean, Nick, you have a, the guide here, but but I think, you know, for some of our people, wokeness um, is it's kind of a sort of amorphous term. Um, and you've done, I think, an admirable job of trying to trying to um, trying to really pin it down. Uh, but tell us a little bit about about just the whole concept wokeness. Yeah. And um, it's an honor to be on this. Thank you, men. In all seriousness, and J.D. have really admired your ministry for years as a Baptist um, teaching at Southern. We, my family and I would sometimes sneak over to your church. Because I remember we loved, we loved your ministry. So no, thank um, you. Honored to be back with you and thankful for the faithfulness of you men, even in wanting to talk about this. Your know, wokeness is really, it is amorphous in terms of the broader culture. And that's part of why it's advancing in both society and the church, because it doesn't want to define its terms. 
um, ideologies that are godless rarely are going to announce themselves to you in a fully defined form. They want to stay broad. They want to stay generic. They want to claim the cultural touch handles, the buzzwords that everybody wants to use, like diversity, equity, inclusion, fairness, tolerance. And that is exactly what wokeness's playbook is. In reality, being woke just means simply, Cambridge English Dictionary, that you are awake to the nature of systemic racism and injustice in a society. So if you go woke, basically in shorthand form, you stop believing that America is a just public order and you, you switch, you morph, you almost convert really to seeing it as a racist society infected with inequality at every turn. And that's not just a a technical dictionary. That's been proven out in the experience of many of us who have friends, know of churches, know of institutions that have gone woke. You see that that is exactly what they start talking about and cannot seem to cease talking about. So wokeness is not a boogeyman. Critical race theory is the formal academic driver of the mindset of wokeness. That's how I put it in my book, Christianity and Wokeness. These things aren't boogeymen. These things aren't imaginary. This is a real ideology and a real mentality I call wokeness that we need to address. And would it be fair to say that for someone who's really bought in, is, is, and I guess the category four in your book, the, the convinced and committed uh, person that he or she approaches society with a presupposition of, uh, of racism, rather than looking for where racism might appear, this is the assumption it's there. And so, right. and so every disparity, every, every, every economic disparity, every social disparity is explained by reference to this kind of core societal sin. That, that is crystal clear yeah, on the money. That is exactly what, as a discipline, critical race theory trains you to do. It starts exactly like you said, with the presupposition, you can hear the alarms go off even as I say these things, it's very fitting. (laughs) It's coming through. It's coming, it's coming for us. It it starts with the presupposition that racism is everywhere. That's right. And then it goes, goes to find it. And it, and it, it is like a conversion experience because it's like the scales from your eyes fall, Wesley. And now you start looking and seeing these disparities between racial groups. I don't believe in race actually as a fixed real yeah. concept, yeah, but for let's sure. use the term. Amen. So, so wherever you see household net worth or educational disparities or nutritional disparities or whatever it may be, health disparities, you are seeing systemic racism. Okay. People like me, and I'm guessing you, you men, are not going to say there are not, there's, there's nothing in society to address. There's nothing to work on. There's nothing to fix. There couldn't be racism baked into the fabric at different points. It could, but we, we are not fundamentally starting from the standpoint uh, that, that CRT and wokeness starts from. M- many of us are going to say it is, it is Looney Tunes to say that America is more racist in 2021 in terms of our public order than it was in the days of slavery. But that is exactly what D'Angelo, Kendi, and others in different form will argue. Yes. Yeah. I thought the, um, the, the, the forward that John MacArthur wrote for you, uh, he, he nailed it. I, I highlighted it and I was sort of taken, uh, took a breath cause it was so, um, 
so succinct, but he says that CRT is basically Marxism on postmodern steroids. It's a deeply uncongenial point of view, cynically weaponized for the destruction and dismantling of social structures. Wherever it's introduced, CRT deliberately provokes and feeds on disunity. It intensifies ethnic hostility, promotes crass identity politics, foments resentment, and imputes guilt or victimhood to people according to their skin color. I was like, I was like that 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 was just a that was a double barrel right there, and yes. it's all true. And we have been living through the ramifications of that. And to the to your extent, to, you say it's a religion. You know, my wife Liza and I have gotten really involved in this, and she um sort of sort of, sort of started sounding alarms before I did, mm-hmm. um because for this very reason because loved ones in our family and friend network began speaking in an entirely different way about themselves in the world uh, using yeah. the same words using privilege and well i know i'm a racist but i'm you know but i'm doing the work and doing better and all of these sort of these kind of these mantras begin coming out um, yes. and and by otherwise you know people that we know well who were not racist who actually have, you know we grew i grew up in the deep south like the opposite end of the country from you yeah and um and, you know, have been very much concerned with the Christian's work for racial reconciliation, uh, for lack of a better word, my entire life, my entire known right. life has been a, a cognizant of this, of the past and the present and the hope for the future. And so to hear some of these people who I know have are equally as concerned to just begin to sort of repeat this, this new language about themselves in the world was very frightening. And so we actually went in search of where are you learning this? What are you and, you know, started buying all the books, the, the Kendi books right. and the Jamar Tisby's and and the D'Angelo. And I have a stack now of books that I didn't have, you know, two and a half years ago that, that have, have shown me like, this was, this was the, the intent all along was to re Mm -hmm. reorient our understandings of ourselves in the world along these, these decidedly unchristian lines. And I think you're right to be pushing back on it. And I loved what you said at the end of your book uh, about fighting for your, for your family and friends and your children, you know, like this is, this is a, this is not an ancillary um, concern for the Christian ministry. Like this is, this is an active um, assault on, on the biblical uh, worldview on the reconciliation we found in Christ and the hope for redemption that the gospel lays out. And I think that um, I'm grateful that you have, you have identified it and that you're, you're, you're helping us uh, work through this. Thank you for those kind words. I'm actually going to talk in a, in a week or so with Australian Anglicans, probably known to you men uh, who are similarly convicted as we are. What's fascinating is that wokeness has you by the throat and it has you by the tail because it comes to you in imperial intellectual terms and says you are a racist, especially if you're a white person or if you have profited from a white supremacist uh, order. And then you say, many people say, many people in Robin D'Angelo's training sessions apparently say, because she's got roughly 700 examples of people coming up to her in tears at them say, I'm not a racist. I, 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 I want to work against it. You know, all these sorts of things. And then she says, Hmm, that's exactly the proof that you are a racist. You deny it. Your, your white fragility is talking. And this is where I want to say two things, and I do in the book. I want to say, number one, this is a serious ideology that is coming at us. There's a body of literature about it. It's a veritable academic subdiscipline. So that's true. On the other hand, again, it is cuckoo for cuckoo puffs because you can't, it, it, this, this isn't how intellectual systems work. You, you, can't, you can't have a non-falsifiable system, but wokeness does. And sadly, a lot of Christians, men, Anglican, Baptist, whatever it may be, broadly evangelical 
don't understand this. They just hear the anti-racist buzzwords or the diversity talk uh, or, you know, someone lamenting the American past, Jamar Tisby, you know, mining the past in, in some cases accurately to show the real pain in it, the sin in it. But then bringing that into the into the present, it's like bringing a burning coal into a room and dropping it on the floor. That's what is happening with this ideology. One of the things I think you do really well in your book is, is among many things, um, is kind of trace the, 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 the development of a kind of common consensus. You know, we, there has been pretty radical change in the United States of course, since, of course, uh, antebellum days, but, but then since Jim Crow, um, I grew up in the 80s. I think you mentioned this in your book. And mm-hmm. I, I remember the things you described that, you know, just a feeling that the, the, the worst of, of the racist past is behind us. We're, 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 we're now developing into a culture that doesn't judge by the color of skin, but, the, but by the content of character. Right. Um, and meanwhile, as we're kind of, we're, we're, we're believing that we're entering into a, a more peaceful consensus, this, this philosophy is growing in academia and beginning to trickle down. And I remember too also, I mean, that the, the overturning of that consensus, I remember being shocked. Uh, we had a number of InterVarsity students at our church for a while. And I remember, I think it was 2015, the Ar- conference. Yeah, I was watching part of it. And I knew a lot of my kids were, were gonna be there. And I remember watching the, the talk, I forget her name. Um, uh, I'm sure you know it, but- Michelle. Talk on, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Slipping. And I was thinking, my goodness, what, what is she, this is a, this, I've not heard anything like this in my, in my life. She's describing an America, America I don't know, a, a, a culture I've not seen. And then, you know, just the next few, the few years after that, after that speech, the, that, that kind of, that kind of, that philosophy began to blossom and flower with an evangelicalism and with English, and with an English, too. And mm-hmm. the consensus is gone. I mean, we're, I mean, it's just such short period of time uh, this poisonous philosophy has just destroyed so much not only within our culture but within our within the church yeah that was really the tipping point moment in evangelicalism for understanding this as an actual ideology as i say in this book christianity and wokeness a lot of us had been operating by and still operated probably for a few more years by we need to listen we need to be humble on these issues america has had uh, real challenges in its past with regard to partiality, most technically in biblical terms, James 2.1, show no partiality, don't favor anyone sinfully, uh, but especially what we call racism, more, more properly ethnocentrism, um, judging people by skin color. So many of us thought the way forward, if there were police shootings that were, you know, that became controversial, was going to be to, to for a lot of white people to probably listen uh, to take notes, to try to be empathetic, and and that sort of approach. And what we did not know, but what Urbana 2015 unmasked, is that this was not just a matter of, of Christian humility. That's always in season. This is an ideology. This is a complex of ideologies, critical race theory, intersectionality, leftism in various forms, wokeness most generally. And now what now it is crazy yep. that that reformed evangelicals, Baptists, Anglicans, whoever would not know still 
that this is this is not of a generic movement against racism. This isn't truly anti-racism. This is neo-racism. It is based on race essentialism. Yes. And it's shocking. But still, to this day, I know I, I'm sure your some of your peers, some of my peers convince themselves this is a boogeyman. It is not a boogeyman. That's right. Yeah, I remember during that time uh, hearing the first time somebody at a Christian conference, I, I forget who it was, it was, a, it was a panel discussion and they said, you know, whiteness is um, sinful, you know, to be, and I remember that and I, I hadn't, I like took a step, I remember where I was, I was walking on an outdoor track listening to a podcast and I was like, what in the world is this? And, yes. and I realized, and I, and at the time I was like, well, this is like, going to be a totally fringe, like so obviously dismissed by, you know, thoughtful Christian people. Like this is, um, you know, I can, I can, I guess, get to see how you could say that in a very convoluted way, but surely it's not going to take let get legs. And here right. we are, you know, seven years later, um, having, um, you know, major, uh, big evangelical and otherwise uh, Christian leaders speaking of themselves like, well, as for white people, you know, the way that white people see these things or as a as someone who who is, um, you know, beneficiary of white supremacy. And I mean, this is the, the way that people are talking about themselves is so well, like you said, neo-racist. I mean, it's a it's a mm-hmm. the, the devolution of any hope for, um, you know, one nation under God, at the very least uh, that we see. And um you know, I think one of the interesting insights you had among many in the book was um, the way that, you know, we were all raised to defend against uh, soft postmodernism, you know, like it, it is what it is or whatever, man, you know, like um, your truth, my truth. Yeah. Like and that was, you know, it's yeah. a little bit like I hear a little bit people a little older than we are talk about how they were raised to defend against, um, you know, secular um, modernism. You know, it was going to be that was going to be the big bugaboo, you know, humanism, then, yeah, secular humanism. Right. Like everyone, we got to get all our rational thoughts against the, the coming army of secular humanists. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, it turns out everyone's just neo-pagan right so they're like actually we we don't just don't believe in one god we believe in all gods because in fact we're god you know and that's sort of like so that we had to reboot for that (laughs) and then now you have this real insight i think um into the fact that this soft postmodernism that we're preparing for where there was no truth is actually morphed into a hard postmodernism and and i think that's a helpful category can you tell us a little bit more um, about about how you saw that transition and then what what that means for the sake of where we are now. The first book I read to really get up to speed on this, like a good number of uh, of others, was Cynical Theories by Helen yeah. Pluckrose and James Lindsay. And um, I frankly, like you alluded to earlier, did not know a ton about the formal ideology of critical race theory. I've never had never read a page of critical legal studies, even though it's been around for 40 plus years. Um, that's where a lot of people still are. But when I read Cynical Theories by Lindsay and Pluckrose, they talk about reified postmodernism. And uh, I changed it a little for my book. I cite them, of course, but I talk about soft and hard postmodernity. So the soft stuff is what you talked about. My truth, your truth, everybody live and let live. The hard form is this stuff. The hard form is wokeness in that it is not built on absolute truth. It is not built on a theistic claim, theistic foundation. It's it's built in midair, but it operates as if it is objective and absolute right. truth. So whiteness is white supremacy, the, the basically the really the core idea of wokeness, I think. When you really boil it down, when you really get into the system, you peek under the hood, that's really where it goes. And there's all kinds of things then that it 
it tells you to do in order to dynamite a white supremacist order. That's what Black Lives Matter, that's what Antifa was doing in a lot of cases last summer, a year ago, when they were torching one American city after another. They weren't just letting off steam. Uh, they weren't just mad. Uh, they weren't just motivated in their minds by justice. They believed, and it's not popular to say this even now, but they believed that they were actually rebuilding a new order because that's what this ideology ultimately seeks to do. It seeks to, it, it, it's drawing off of Marx. Marx wanted to destroy Western civilization. He and Engels are basically, <laughs> they're basically plain about that in the Communist Manifesto in 1871, for example. And this is, this is racialized neo-Marxism today that seeks to burn and destroy and rebuild a new equable order, okay? And uh, all this is treated as if it is objective truth, but it is not objective truth. There is actually no objective truth claim even made mm. by the system. Uh, and yet um, it, it is it is therefore, I believe, hard postmodernity. It's a totally different challenge than the youth camps and conferences equipped us for 15, yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciated your tracing uh, the development of critical race theory from critical theory and, and from Marxism. Would you mind in just in short form giving us a brief overview of that? Yeah. So Marxism, it, uh, Marxism's major contribution, Jeff Johnson, Johnson shows this in his book, What Every Christian Needs to Know About Social Justice. Excellent short book with Free Grace Press. He's the president of the seminary on that. He shows uh, that the really the core idea of Marx, the reason Marxism works and has become history's most successful bad idea in terms of body count, in terms of the the hearse trailing the car, is he he simplifies. If you want revolution, you need it to be really simple. And he he says those who own the means of production, those who are wealthy by extension, are oppressors, and those who don't own the means of production and are poor are the oppressed peoples. That will play. That will work because a lot of people are in rough conditions in the 19th century and following, right, for various reasons. So Marx is successful in fomenting economic revolution. Critical theory builds off of the oppressor-oppressed paradigm. The Frankfurt School and others basically argue that bourgeois culture, traditional culture, religious culture is oppressive of minorities in a society. And so they culturalize uh, Marxism, I would say, cultural Marxism. And today, uh, critical race theory and wokeness racialize Marxism, still using the oppressor-oppressed paradigm, telling us that the racial power group, the whites, are oppressing people of color. Interestingly, Black liberation theology, slightly different uh, stream feeding into all of this woke movement, but says basically the same thing. Yeah. Cohn is the one who said that the oppressor-oppressed Marxist dynamic is a tool of social analysis. And that phrase, though almost no one saw this, uh, is used by the Southern Baptist Convention in 2019. Right. It's, it's yeah. shortened to analytical tool. Yes. All this to say, this is, this is not the fever dream of arch-right conservatives. There actually is uh, a long line of Marxist destruction of Western civilization that is still unfolding right now. It's a, it's a peak pitch right now in America and in the church. And it's tragic. Once again, I'll repeat myself that we, we don't understand that this, this isn't just mm, 
not an ideal way to address racism. This is an ideology that aims at the destruction of the West and of the church. One thing that you do also, and I really love picking up on that point, is it, Marxism and, uh, and the critical theory that flow from it, they, they provide uh, a way of uh, a worldview that, that supplants and corrodes the Christian one. I mean, you have yes. a, a, a different anthropology, a different sociology, a different archaeology. I mean, everything is, is subverted, and, and, and it actually makes it easy for Christians who buy into this philosophy to kind of adopt it and use Christian language to, to maybe conceal what it really right. is. Um, could you, yeah, could you talk about the, the way that, um, that this particular uh, development of Marxist ideology culturally and racially conflicts with the gospel and, and how, uh, and what we're given in scripture as the means to bring about both personal uh, salvation, redemption, um, and also uh, change in the in communities. What a fun question! We could talk for an hour uh, about just <laughs> that question. <laughs> and I address you it. You come back next week if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know that I need to be hanging out with the Anglican guys. Man, this is fun. Um, uh, I should have known. I should have known. Um, fundamentally. I talk about this at length in the book, but um, this is this is a racialized social gospel. That's what this is, I think. So a hundred years ago, Machen was fighting the social gospel. Social gospel took over uh, many Baptist churches, many Presbyterian churches, many Episcopalian churches, as you all are very well aware. Exactly. And it, yes, and it did so economically, basically kind of, again, vagueness right here's another theme vagueness yeah. not really defined um and capitalizing not, on empathy you know i mean like who doesn't want to be who want who would who doesn't care about the poor like who doesn't care about i mean this is yeah i'm mean, saying yeah. same play same play same play not being very cagey so very cagey in in many places fosdick got a little hot under the collar but most of the social gospel promoters would affirm individual salvation or soul salvation, whatever it would be called. Uh, but, but then also we need to be concerned about this. And um, I think that is what is happening today. It's not so much in, in evangelical circles that everybody is coming out and going, oh man, I totally deny blood atonement. I totally deny justification by faith. I hate that stuff. Hey, evangelicals, come over here and follow me. What we really need to be focused on is solving the racial power dynamics of this culture and overcoming white supremacy. And hey, by the way, let's follow the secular sociologists who are godless and tell us they're dependent on Marx to do so. That is not how it works. That's not how that's not how false teaching that's right. works in the that's church. They, that's right. That's not how people infiltrate things. That's, that's they don't they're not that direct. What, what does Paul say? First Corinthians two four. Plausible words of man's wisdom. He didn't come with them. So he's contrasting biblical truth with plausible words of man's wisdom. This is a plausible system in that it actually, it initially sounds good, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going on at length here, but this is a different gospel. It's not just a different gospel. It's an anti-gospel because it teaches you if you are white or if you have benefited from whiteness, that you are an oppressor. And that means that 
even if you have become a Christian, you are learning that you have condemnation for your whiteness, for your structuralist participation in a white supremacist order that you never knew you had. So that's why in Christianity and Wokeness, my book, I, I am not at, I am not simply trying to say, guys, this, this poses a mild threat to the gospel. I'm saying this is a different gospel and it's an anti-gospel. One of the things that I have heard several times that I find comforting is that evil always overreaches. And um, I'm hopeful that that's true. I wonder if you are hopeful. How do you see the church? Because I do think that the church can and will overcome this. How, how do you think that's going to happen? What other than us just standing in our lecterns and preaching the gospel, which we're going to do, what can the church be at work doing to, to win this fight? Great question. I, I fully agree with you that evil will out itself and that it will push to extremes. Sadly, in so many areas of life, there's usually just this big uh, middle of the road position, middle of the road group that sleeps and doesn't wake up until it's the 11th hour. You see that with the social gospel, for example, 100 years ago or so. You see with the main line in different ways. People don't realize what's happening until it's too late, basically. But I think that people are starting to see that critical race theory is a technical term bonkers. I think they are starting to see (laughs) that, that when it goes into a public school, it racializes the classroom. And now your 24 year old grad of University of Arkansas drawing on the curriculum handed to them is supposed to be teaching the, the third graders that the white kids have white privilege and the black kids who they've been playing with nicely all, all year on the playground are being oppressed by the white kids. So that's why in recent polling data that I saw last week, 53% of people who have heard of CRT, and, and I don't remember the exact framing, but are aware of its basic ideas, disapprove. 23% of people approved. When I saw that stat, I thought to myself, okay, I think the tide is going to turn. Hmm. Uh, n- not meaning something triumphal in the next month, but I think people are starting to wake up and that well, is only good for us. And I think where it's going to have to start, um, you know, cause it's like, there's no local anymore, you know, cause everyone's, um, mm. you know, social media makes everyone's immediate uh, lives present to everyone else. Uh, but that being said, mm. we do still have friends and family and acquaintances of other ethnicities um, and sort of long relationships. You know, there are inter inter for lack of a better word, interracial marriages that have been successful. There are people who have sure. adopted children and these are the sort of the, the sort of local option, the, the subsidiarity points at which um, healing is going to actually win out, you know, mm-hmm. actual reconciliation in churches amongst various ethnicities that are supposed to be warring at each other and supposed to be holding these these enmities from generations past where they look at each other finally and say, you know, we hear that we're supposed to not actually love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but it turns out we actually do. And that's where the healing in the church is going to, to reflect out. And and to be sure, there are some quote unquote churches that have been preaching, you know, a watered down anti-social or anti-gospel or social gospel for, for, for generations 
um, in which this, this is the new thing, you know, they're running with this because it actually offers something of a redemption that they have never actually been found in the faithful preaching yes. of the gospel. But for those churches that have actually been faithful to the gospel and those ministers and the people that have found genuine reconciliation across all of the walls of hostility that Paul talks about in Ephesians, well, then it's going to win out. Like those, those families that have lovingly raised, you know, children of other ethnicities into, um, in, you know, sacrifice, sacrificially, you know, those, those uh, friends for lack of a better word. I mean, I was so touched by the, the uh, growing up in the deep South when master P was in his ascendancy and, um, <laughs> And wow. uh, yeah, no, Master P was uh, was a big deal in Baton Rouge when I was in yes. middle and middle and high school. And your whole chapter on like your love and affinity for rap music, you know, is this as you put it, this little uh, I think you yeah. said nerdy kid from Maine, you know, or preppy kid from Maine, at least uh, I had such deep affinity for that because, you know, it's like that was the living into the to the picture of a hope for you know, this is, this is just some, I'm just some, you know, white kid from Baton Rouge that loves, you know, Master P and, and I yes. didn't see anything wrong with that. And now, now it's being told something entirely different. And I yes. think that people of goodwill who've actually found something of the hope and genuine reconciliation offered into the world in Christ are going to reflect that as we always have, however, imperfectly. And that's going to be part of the I think the the opportunity the church has going forward is to pick up the wreckage of what this is causing in many people's lives. I couldn't agree more. Wokeness and leftism more broadly militates against reality. It is an anti-God system. And because it's an anti-God system, it's an anti-reality system. So, for example, the sexual dimension of wokeness, you think about transgender. That's that's against reality. There is no such thing as transgender. There are people who may be confused about who they are for any number of reasons and need the word of God and the gospel of God for their state. But fundamentally, that is a, an anti-reality perspective. It is an anti-reality perspective to argue, as intersectional scholars do, that uh, fundamentally in structural terms, thin people oppress fat people. Thin people do not fundamentally, just by virtue of being thin, oppress fat people. So this is an anti-reality system. I'm from a mixed race family, even though I'm from small town in Maine. This system, this evil, godless, anti-gospel uh, anti ideology trains us to believe we know people by looking at them. So I know you white guy with glasses. You've benefited from white privilege in all sorts of ways. You went to Bowdoin College. You've had this privileged upbringing. And therefore, you know, I can read you and I can condemn you. And the truth is, we don't know one another. The truth is, we are not aggregates of a block group, as in Marx's thinking. We are individuals. We are image bearers. We are given dignity and worth by virtue of being made from God, for God, to know God. But this system tells us that we can know each other uh, and, and, and who belongs to the group stereotype blocks. But my sister does not look like me. And yet I love my sister to the death. I would die for my sister. And um, that shaped my life in all sorts of ways Amen. Uh, to be in a mixed race home through adoption. So I agree with you that this system doesn't work on the ground, but the tragedy is men that you have to fight godless ideologies, even though they don't work 
um, even as you are praying that people will simply see that this is, a, even if they never read a page of philosophy, this is anti-reality. This is anti-creation order. We're coming to the I, end I of our time, Dr. Strand, but I want to give you the opportunity that I would want to give any preacher. Um, why don't you take the last few minutes to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, even into a world that is hmm. beset by this struggle? Oh, man, that's where the book heads, Christianity Wokeness heads. It's not ultimately to, to critique wokeness. It is surely that. And I, I spare no arrows to quote John Knox. But ultimately, this isn't a, uh, an against book. It is a for book, and it is for Christ. J.D. Um, alluded to it earlier, but Ephesians 2, 11 to 22 is the way forward. Uh, you have Jew and Gentile who are far more divided, have far more uh, historic hostility than even we have in America. We don't have an insubstantial amount. And yet it is this, this complex and boiling group, boiling situation in Ephesus that Paul addresses and tells they not only can be unified through the blood of Jesus Christ uh, and saving faith in that blood, in that resurrection of Christ, but they are unified the hostility, Paul says, in that passage in Ephesians 2 has been killed. He, he uses really interesting language there in the Greek. Hostility between Jew and Gentile has been murdered by Christ. It's been destroyed. Division is solved. And that's not because the Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus are to line up across from one another and do an elaborate reparational dance where they figure out over a span of a year or two whose ancestors harmed whose, and then what money one side is owed. Ezekiel 18.20 does away with reparations. 19 and 20 tells us that the sins of the father don't obtain to the son and the sins of the son don't obtain to the father. Obviously, we know about Adamic headship, but that, that aside, there is to be no reparational scheme uh, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, our unity is in Christ. Our unity is in the gospel. And to make this practical as we wrap up, that means that when we are born again, when we are a Christian and we join a local church, those people we are with are our brothers and sisters. And when we're, we're not in a local church here, but you men are my brothers. Uh, when we meet Christians who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's our family. And there's, there's, this sounds almost too simplistic today, doesn't it? But there's nothing more to be done. Christ has done the work. Of course, we live in humility. Of course, we listen well. Of course, we know people are coming into the church from different, different places in life, right? And we're always working to show no partiality, James 2.1. But we are unified now. God's plan for unity is not driven by Robin D'Angelo and Ibram Kendi and, and sociologists and psychologists and criminal race, uh, critical race theorists. It's, it's driven by Christ. Amen. And it's, it's, it's succeeding. Can we Amen. just say that as well? That's right. Gates gospel, of hell. The gospel is not flailing. God does not have his head in his hands up there in heaven. His gospel right. is working. Right. Amen. It's working amazingly well. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 
Amen, indeed. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, couldn't have enjoyed this more. We also thank our listeners for listening. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email. And buy the mailbag. book, Nick. And they should, go buy, they should go buy the book. J.D., I'm getting there. I'm sorry. Goodness gracious. Sorry. Let me do my job. I nudged it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch, and a special thanks this week to Dr. Owen Strand. Please do go by and read his book. You'll be blessed by it. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.